This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. Please be seated. We've got another great show for you today. And we're at, it is Miami Book Fair season, which has brought us back on the air. And um, today we are here to talk to Sandy Rosenthal. She's the author of Words Whispered in Water, Why the Levee Broke in Hurricane Katrina. And if I can just try to take you back to that time, it's hard to believe it has been 15 years, but um, there were seen to be two events in the last decade where the whole country kind of came together and just kind of sat and watched in horror. Um, there was 9-11 and, and then there was Hurricane Katrina. And they're both kind of vividly etched in our, our psyches, I think, in many ways. Um, one, oddly enough, both on the same president, one propelled them, and one kind of doomed his presidency after that. And uh, so it's interesting to have you on. It's hard to believe it has been 15 years. And, um, but, you know, when I think of that time, I, I, I keep coming back to a, a headline in the, um, it was the front page of the Los Angeles Daily News. And it was a an image of a flooded New Orleans with the headline, a city abandoned. And um, so, um, so it's great to have you. Um, let's, I guess, start with a little bit of intro. The book has been, just came out in August and it's been well received. Um, Dave Eggers, author of The Circle, has um, said that Sandy Rosenthal is a courageous and indefatigable, indefatigable warrior for justice. And um, Scott Knowles from Drexel University, author of Disaster Experts, 
um, said that she is putting herself in the path of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the local media, academia, and entrenched political interests in order to get to the truth about the New Orleans levee system. It took guts as well as masterful community organizing. Anyone who is interested in Hurricane Katrina in America failing infrastructure will want to read this book told in a fast-paced narrative. And what's interesting about this book is we, you know, there's certain villains what we know about, you know, for Hurricane Katrina. There's certain narratives we know about, you know, Attaboy Brownie and, and the whatnot, but this is a story that we really haven't heard. So I'm really glad to have you on. Um, Sandy is uh, a New Orleans author. This is your first book. And uh, why don't we start by a little bit of your background. How is it that you came to New Orleans? I married a, a local born and raised New Orleanian. Uh, and I think the first words out of his mouth when I met him in college were, I'm from New Orleans. I'm going to live there the rest of my life. <laughs> so <laughs> so, um, so I, I guess I knew right from the get-go that if we got married, I would be moving to New Orleans. And that's exactly what happened. That's funny. And you're from Boston? I am. That's where I, where I can park the car in the yard. And um, I still have a Boston accent. <laughs> I'm from Providence. I've, I've worked to lose it somewhat, but uh, it comes back. And that is my one of my biggest fears of this interview is that it will come back <laughs> by the end. And um, so um, so you actually, what's, what strikes me as interesting about this whole story is uh, well, I think sometimes a non-native can tell a story of a region better than a native because they, they see it from an outside, outside perspective. So that the fact that you're not from New Orleans isn't what surprises me about the book, is that you write a book about the Army Corps of Engineers and you, know, you have an MBA from what, Loyola, I believe? Actually, my MBA is from Tulane University. Oh, Tulane, I'm sorry, I got them confused. And, um, and your background's in marketing. Mm -hmm. And, and so you're not, you don't come from that, that discipline, but you've, you've quickly become one of their biggest critics. And um, so that's, that's kind of, it's interesting that um, the unlikely heroine, so to speak, of such a story. And so um, what did you, why don't you tell us about what your life was like before Katrina? Before Hurricane Katrina's storm surge arrived, I can best describe myself as being a regular mom, regular housewife, regular 48-year-old living in uptown New Orleans. Uh, I did have a part-time job at that point in my career, uh, which was copywriting. Uh, I, I was good at taking complex material and putting it out there in an easy format for people to understand. So that's who I was. No special skills, no special training. Then the levee breach event happened and I was in an unusual space, to, so, so to speak, because my husband was an insurance agent and he had told me to pack for three weeks. He had lived in New Orleans during Hurricane Betsy and remembered six weeks with no electricity, six weeks with no ice, six weeks, no phone. And he said, pack for three weeks, we're getting out of here and we won't be back for a while. And I did. And because I packed for three weeks, that, that put me in a relatively secure space that I could watch the disaster unfold and watch the disastrous response unfold as well. And if, if it weren't for that background, that preparation, I don't think I could have taken on the mantle that I did after the levees broke. When you say the background preparation, the fact that you had three weeks, you know, stuff as opposed to 
you know, other people who just kind of figure they'll go for a few days and come back? 100% of the people I've interviewed packed for two days. Wow. Just, just bought a change of underwear. Nobody packed for three weeks. I bought my checkbook. I bought my um, important materials, paperwork that I needed, my laptop, everything. And you, you bring your dogs too, I thought. Right? And the dog. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so you also talk about the Millers mm -hmm. who they, they stayed partly because of their dogs, I believe. They, well, they stayed for a lot of reasons and not just their dog. Uh, uh, and I discussed this in depth in my book. Why did people stay? Um, many of the elderly stayed and, and books are written on that subject. They stay in the face of knowing that this monster storm is coming. And from what I understand, the reason is stubbornness. They, 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 they're set in their ways. They don't want to leave. They want to stay in their home. And many of them perished. Uh, a lot of them did stay to take care of their pets. Uh, a lot of them uh, didn't have uh, the luxury of having family that they could move in with. Uh, many people perished for many different reasons. But yes, uh, the Millers stayed and uh, they, they, um, they admit afterward they were lucky to be alive. They were absolutely lucky. And I really, it was important to me to have the Millers in the story and tell their story because they represent so many families of right. people who stayed and were able to leave and chose to stay. Now, what was it like? I mean, you were, what, were they in Jackson? Our first ev evacuation location was Jackson, Mississippi, which we had scoped out in advance because they had internet in the hotel and they were dog friendly. Unfortunately for us, when Hurricane Katrina um, moved through New Orleans, it went straight to Jackson. Uh -huh. So we had, to, we had to relocate again. And Baton this Rouge? This, no, this time was to Lafayette, Louisiana, which is about a little further away than Baton Rouge. And that's where we ended up staying for three months. Wow. So what was your reaction watching in, as it unfolded and seeing the city, I think, what, 1.80% was underwater? Incredibly painful, incredibly shocking. Uh, the our evacuation went from a fairly upbeat, you know, let's make the best of this situation to uh, absolute um, traumatic horror. Uh, I, I do know now that I was in uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome for several months. I, I realized that later, I didn't understand what was happening to me at the time. It was absolutely shocking. Even the most desperate appeals to the people of New Orleans to get out of town never said anything about levees breaching or anything right. about the city filling up with water, no. And did you know many people who, who perished? I, I personally know one person who actually drowned in the flood. Uh, we're, a particular, we're fairly small cities. It's uh, maybe uh, a million, three quarters of a million people in this city. And there are many people like myself who actually know somebody who drowned. It's interesting. The, um, the 2000 census had New Orleans was the number 31 city, had 484,000 people, actually almost 485,000. And they lost 57% of their population after Katrina. Immediately afterward, yes. Yeah. And it's, now it's up, it's up to 390,000. But what, what struck me in looking at your book is there's a point where you talk about, you know, we, I forget how, how much afterwards the, the hurricane, but there was a, a new body found that had drowned. And you were going to a funeral for that. 
And it, in a, I started the segment talking about you know both 9-11 and Katrina um, because they both were monumental events during a very short period of time and catastrophic. But I remember talking to people in Boston and New York after 9-11, and they talked about just all the funerals they went to. And, uh, and so reading that about the, the person who was watched, you know, found, it just reminded me of that. The, everybody in New Orleans, <clears throat> everybody in New Orleans was touched by this disaster, even if their, um, their home didn't flood or their business or their children's school, they, they've lost friends, they've lost f family members, or the family members might have mo moved away, um, or they've lost a job. Uh, everybody was touched. Not one single person got through this unscathed. So you, you pack up from Lafayette, and what is Lafayette like anyway? <laughs> Lafayette, uh, I have to admit, is a much like New Orleans, but much, much smaller. Uh, That's where the Cajun Dome is, I believe, yes, right? A, yeah. A, a highly Cajun town, uh, very Catholic, very fun-loving, and they were very welcoming, although it was uh, stressful for the city because there were too many of us uh, in, in Lafayette at that time. We were stretching, stretching the city to its limit, and the same with Baton Rouge. Uh, but considering how, how, uh, how difficult it was to have so many people in their town, they handled it very well. And so you pack up the car in Lafayette and you head back to New Orleans. What was that first day or two like being back? Were you, were you shocked or were you prepared for what you saw since what you saw on TV? I had actually made several treks back to New Orleans um, because I was setting up my grassroots group, levies.org, and I had traveled back uh, alone in the car uh, to, to, to set up some face-to-face -face meetings and to talk about the message that I was burning to tell, you know, why, why the levies broke, because there was, a, meanwhile, a fairy tale was flying around the country. However, I, uh, that day that we, the whole, my entire family did move back to New Orleans, <coughs> which was uh, December um, 16th, was a very, very happy moment because we knew we were coming home to stay, not to visit, but right. to stay. And Katrina was August 26th, I believe, right? August 29th. 29th, yes. And uh, so... You talked about founding the, the levies.org. What triggered that switch that made you want to, and you talk about it in your book a little bit, you know, hearing um, the explanation for the cause. Um, so what, what triggered you from marketing person to levy activist? Keep in mind what I'd mentioned earlier, how I was in an unusual space and I was relatively comfortable and secure. I had had all my clothes, I had all mm -hmm. my equipment, I had my checkbook. Um, so I, I was in an unusual space and I spent that time researching, reading, listening to the radio, watching the news, constant, constant, constant. That was how I channeled my post-traumatic stress syndrome. And it immediately became apparent to me that these explanations for the levy breaches weren't making sense. And that's when I started to get suspicious about what I was hearing. And then eventually, um, about four weeks after the flood, uh, I found uh, in, in the, uh, on online that there had been a hearing in Washington, D.C., stating very clearly the Army Corps of Engineers is responsible for designing and building the levees. 
and the local uh, levy board maintains them after they're complete. Well, that's, it seemed to me that the fault should lay with the designer and the builder and the contractor, the Army Corps, not any, not any uh, local people. And that seemed to be where blame was being laid. If you recall, I mentioned I'd packed for three weeks. I even brought my tennis gear with me. So I was in Lafayette and I, I had heard that the University of Louisiana at Lafayette was having a mixed doubles tournament and heard they needed a female for a mixed tournament. And I signed up and said, I, I'd love to play. And it was at, on that day on a beautiful Saturday morning, I began to talk to my partner about what I'd been studying for the past, uh, at that time, about eight weeks about how the levee should have held and that this flooding shouldn't have happened. And his response was, there's nothing wrong with those levees. Katrina was a huge storm and people like me deserve no help because we shouldn't have been living there in the first place. Well, I was so shocked and appalled by those words that I actually threatened to leave if he did not apologize. And he did apologize and I continued to play the, play the tournament, but my eyes were now open to what I call the face of the monster. And that is so many people out there looking at us we're looking at people who were um, a burden to the nation, uh, people right. who were irresponsible. I all of a sudden realized what we looked like on that day. And that was the tipping point for me when I realized something needed to be done about these, this, these, this fairy tale that was flying around the country. A fairy, by fairy tale, I mean that the levee breach event was because of a monster storm and a city below sea level and all those corrupt people out there must have stole the levy money, which is absurd. Anybody who steals money from the feds goes to prison. Right. And that was the fairy tale. Well, at least back then. Um, mm -hmm. And a quick question. In talking just in terms of nomenclature, for, you know, for some, many people may not be familiar with what a levy is. And you know, for example, I'm from Providence. We have a hurricane gate that closes when, you know, there's a hurricane. It's only happened a few times, mm -hmm. but um, that protects the city. And uh, so what is a levy and how is it different from other flood control devices? Well, let me point out that nearly two thirds of the American population lives by levees. 62% uh, of the American population is protected by a levee and doesn't even know it. And, and they really shouldn't know it. Uh, these, these were being protected. These are built by the federal government. We, we shouldn't need to be worried about them. But apparently we found out 15 years ago, I guess we did. A levy is, as, uh, is a earthen structure, uh, a primarily earthen structure uh, built with um, clay, dirt, soil, but is almost always reinforced with steel. The levees in New Orleans are reinforced with steel uh, called I walls and T walls. Uh, you, you often see these levees along major rivers like the Mississippi, Missouri, and Ohio rivers. And, and you mentioned, for example, two thirds of the country and one of the areas where there's a lot of levees is, is Sacramento. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In yeah. fact, more people in the Sacramento region are in danger of levee failure uh, due to saltwater intrusion into the drinking water than Texas, Mississippi, and Louisiana combined. And California is very aware of this, especially after the levee breaches during Hurricane Katrina. Okay, so you, you started investigating what was going on with the levees, mm -hmm. and, and what did you find? Well, um, it didn't take long to find out that 
It is the Army Corps that is responsible for the levy breaches, not locals. However, the Army Corps refused to answer any questions by Congress and the media until after the, after the, the levy studies were complete. And that was uh, eight months. Eight months is a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, right after the levy breach event, keep in mind, as you pointed out, uh, there have been two times that the American people are glued to the TV set, 9-11, and Hurricane Katrina. Well, uh, people of America naturally want to know now. What happened? We want to know today why the levees broke. Uh, And so what happened is it's a combination of of media reports that were wrong, not only wrong, but exactly backward, um, and a combination of the uh, Army Corps um, misleading Congress and the American public uh, by by keeping quiet and not saying anything. silence is almost worse than telling the truth, that the American people got this wrong story. And and it's that early wrong story that got into the heads of the American people that ended up later causing a lot of harm. Uh, And the wrong story was this was just a, you know, a freak hurricane. There's nothing we could have done. Right. Unforeseeable. Right. um, And also it, it uh, it was easier for the American mind to accept that this was unforeseeable than it was to believe that the Army Corps of Engineers could have made such a mistake. It was easy. Now, for those who aren't familiar with the Army Corps, the Army Corps of Engineers is under the Department of Defense. And it's it's because they have a a Corps of Engineers designed for all military bases across the world, right? Um, But they also um, build um, levies for... um, a civil civil structures, you know, for the for the American people, not not just the military. But that's why they, 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 that's why they're under the military, though, because of that's the correct. Function. That's yeah. correct. Mm-hmm. And, and so here's this this branch of government that's supposed to be an expert, um, and we entrust them with this critical piece of infrastructure, and come Katrina, they failed. And it was easier to believe that it must be our fault than it was to believe our fault or the storm's fault or anybody but the federal government, the the people with the gold standard with 200 years experience. It couldn't possibly be their fault, except it was. Okay, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how the Army Corps of Engineers got it wrong and what that meant um, for the citizens of New Orleans. We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report on WMR. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let WebmasterRadio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. WebmasterRadio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing, and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, 
WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking to Sandy Rosenthal. She's the author of Words Whispered in Water, Why the Levees Broke in Hurricane Katrina. And she's speaking to us from New Orleans. And uh, so we were talking earlier a little bit about what is a levee, the Army Corps Engineers. So now we're really into the, the story, the, the um, investigation that you, in, you uncovered. Um, tell us what the Army Corps engineers got wrong. In the 1980s, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers was, was running behind schedule and had just gotten a reprimand from the Government Accountability Office to hurry up. You know, this is an important project. Uh, lives were lost during Hurricane Betsy. These levees needed to get built. Uh, the, after Betsy, the Congress had, had charged the Army Corps with building levees, and it was their job to have them done. It was supposed to have been done in 12 years. So, 20 And that's what your husband was reacting to. Was it Betsy? Betsy. Okay. Yeah, so he, he, he knew that was quite a, a, a bleep storm. So let's get out of here. And so but the same, the same time Congress or Washington said, yeah, that was a bleep storm. Let's, let's, you know, let's build levees so it doesn't happen again. So it, uh, after Hurricane Betsy, uh, um, excuse me, prior to Hurricane Betsy, the locals built the levees. And after yeah. Hurricane Betsy, Congress said, okay, from now on, the Army Corps of Engineers is going to build the hurricane protection levees in New Orleans. Prior to that, they'd built the river levees along the okay. Missouri and Ohio. Okay, so... Um, so now you've got the Army, but the Army Corps uh, was behind schedule. They were 22 years behind schedule. And the, the Government Accountability, <laughs> Accountability Office um, gave them, took them to the woodshed and, and whooped them and said, hurry up, get, get right. this project going. So, but now the, the Army Corps is behind schedule, cost are rising, and now the Army Corps was looking for ways to save money on steel. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking for ways to save money. Everybody does that every day. However, when the Army Corps did their study, uh, a large-scale study in the Atrophilia Basin with soil similar to New Orleans, they made a mistake. And they wrongly concluded that they only needed to drive steel sheet piling down into the ground 16 feet when it should have been 60, 6-0. Their original design was 60. And they thought, great. It turned up that more than 16 feet doesn't make a difference. We can save $100 million. No, I just focus on that because you, yes. you indicate that um, if you, in the study, it, it failed, but they somehow overlooked the fact that it failed. Why do a study and not acknowledge the result? What happened, uh, it, it's best that I can understand from my research, it was that they didn't see the failure because it was covered by a tarp that actually a levee wall had tilted and it doesn't take much to cause failure, but no one had seen the tilt because it was under a tarp. So and that, so how was that recovered, discovered later then if no one had seen it? That was discovered by, by civil engineers who had researched this issue after the fact, after Hurricane Katrina. It was no, after I, I, I have a question. Sure. I, 
I was horrified by Katrina for a different reason. Um, because I guess the year before Katrina, NPR, um, the Times Picayune, and um, I think it was LSU had done a, a project with FEMA where they modeled a category four or five hurricane. I think they called it um, Hurricane Pam and, and talked about, and it was over several segments, talked about uh, what would happen to New Orleans given that a you know, certain portion of it was below the sea level. And it was quite catastrophic what they were talking about. And so that's why you know, I, um, at the time, I had, I had quite a long commute. And so I, I'd heard this at length. And so when I heard that there was a Category 5 heading to New Orleans, I was horrified because that, that was still playing in my head. And I couldn't understand why the Bush administration wasn't you know, paying attention. But at the same time, with that exercise, that Hurricane Pam exercise, that wouldn't have revealed the, the inadequacy or adequacy of the levees, would it? The Hurricane Pamela exercise wrongly predicted what would happen. Uh, the Hurricane Pam exercise predicted 20 feet of water in the French Quarter. The French okay. Quarter got nothing, okay? Huh. The Hurricane Pamela exercise in the minds of, uh, and from the viewpoint of the civil engineers and the people who understand hydrology was a joke. They knew that was impossible. And I can show you emails showing that they'd laughed about the Hurricane Pam exercise. However, what I can say about Hurricane Pam <coughs> is it probably saved a lot of lives because people who don't understand hydrology saw that and like you were frightened and got out of town when Hurricane Katrina was on its way. Um, the unfortunately way too little attention was paid to people without a car, credit cards and road experience. Okay, yeah, I mean, so based on that, I was following Katrina from before, you know, from Florida on, because I'm like, you know, this could be a disaster based on that story I heard at NPR. Um, it, it, all I can say is uh, it, it, it pays to be afraid of water. Um, those who <laughs> decided to get out did well. Uh, and then also what really helped the, the city of New Orleans with Hurricane Ivan exactly one year earlier, almost exactly, uh, when it turned up that our con contraflow, our evacuation plan needed, sorely needed revisions. And those revisions were made on time for Hurricane Katrina. The evacuation of New Orleans prior to Katrina is considered the most successful rapid evacuation of an American city in the history of the United States. Uh, the Dutch are amazed uh, and wanted to know how we did that. That's interesting. Now, um, so you have the test, the design test of the levees, it fails and but they don't know they don't know it and so then Katrina happens explain how the levees broke um in during the morning of of August 29th while Hurricane uh, Katrina's eye uh, tr went to the east of the city Hurricane Katrina did miss us storm surge arrived and that storm surge flowed into the city's drainage canals and those drainage canals um, levees that had been built by the Army Corps. They'd just been completed in 2000. So there were our newest levees. They broke 
before water even reached the top of the walls. So they were destined to fail. They probably could have broken in a thunderstorm, but they ended up happening during Katrina's surge, with my understanding, three to four feet from the tops of the walls. Those levees flooded the main basin of the city, which with the most people, property, and infrastructure, and are considered the, the most uh, destructive of the levee breaches uh, in the city of New Orleans. And so you start looking into this, and it, the, the story of your, your book is that that didn't make you the most popular person in New Orleans. <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly very well known in New Orleans. Uh, the <laughs> Army Corps wishes I'd never been born. Uh, the, the main thing that I, I tried to uncover is not only was the Army Corps of Engineers singularly responsible for the levee breaches, but they spent millions and millions uh, harassing and abusing anybody who stood up to their version of events, uh, myself and others as well. And to me, those both those stories needed to be told. And it was, you know, it's sad, and, and it's just that you had a government agency actually out harassing citizens, and um, and you could tell that just by the IP address of the people uh, who were harassing you. They were linked to um, the Army Corps or other government agencies, but it went beyond that. Um, tell us about some of the more frightening aspects of it. Well, the, the, I did have a, a few uh, threats that were frightening. Um, uh, on the same day uh, that my car was keyed, I had uh, my SUV was filled to the roof with uh, yard signs and you know, hold the core accountable. So I came home and I found my car keyed. Every single panel of my car was keyed. And at my back door, right up uh, inside my garage, um, I found a, a, a pigeon with its head chopped off uh, right there at my back door. I was, um, I knew I must be onto something if, if somebody is going through all this trouble to frighten me. I knew I must be on the right track. So that actually propelled me to keep going forward. Uh, but I, at the same time, I was concerned that my husband might be, be scared for me and, and ask me to stop doing this work. So I picked up the bird, I put it in the trash, I shut the lid, and when I shut the lid on that on that um, trash can, I also sh shut a door in my brain to tell myself, "Don't think about the pushback. Think about the work I have to do." And now you did this with your son. Yes, uh, I couldn't have done it without my 15-year-old son. Kids know everything. Uh, it, <laughs> it was it was my son who figured out how to um, build. Uh, a website to help get the word out. And it was he who figured out that um, we can use this website you know, to reach others, to get the word out. Uh, things like um, setting up chapters in other states. Many of these things were his idea. And, and so what, what you've accomplished is you've, you've explained that basically this is one of the great engineering catastrophes in American history. Uh, according to many civil engineers, it is the worst civil engineering disaster in the history of the United States, and up until Chernobyl, the world. Wow. And uh, I bet that there isn't any sense of remorse, is what I'm hearing. The, the Army Corps of Engineers was um, preparing for lawsuit. Uh, the, uh, a, a class action lawsuit was coming together during the exact same time that I was doing my work of exposing the Army Corps' mistakes. And at the end of the day, I think money was the reason that so much time and effort was spent 
uh, harassing me, a little, a little grassroots group, um, right. a, bunch, a bunch of volunteers with no particular skills and expertise. Uh, why would the great Army Corps of Engineers be devoting uh, so much time to harassing me? They were literally sending people to all of the events that we did. They had people masquerading uh, to try to infiltrate um, my little groups that I set up. So th on the one hand, that was key, uh, that helped me keep going. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it makes you wonder why are they uh, spending so much taxpayer money going after me? And I think in hindsight, the reason is the lawsuit. Had that right. the Army Corps been found responsible for the levee breaches, that could have meant billions and billions flowing, not to the city of New Orleans, but into the pockets of the people who live here. Well, just to be clear, they were found responsible for, it was their conduct that caused it but they weren't found financially responsible because they had immunity. That's absolutely correct. Uh, due to the Flood Control Act of 1928, the Army Corps of Engineers, even though responsible, cannot be held financially liable should its flood protection structures fail. So wh why not own it? I mean, why not stand up and say, you know, we, we did it wrong, we're sorry. We, we actually designed it, which it, and it did. Then, and then he pauses and said, but we never contemplated the heat from the fuel. And the, just the time that it took him to say that and the heartbreak and you know, horror in his face, um, you know, that stayed with me. And clearly you're not getting that from the core. So what you've done is actually quite creative. In addition to this book, which is you know, a com compelling tale, but you've also done something I thought very creative, but important is you've made the levee breaches historic sites. Mm -hmm. Explain how you, what, what led you to do that and, and, and how has that been received? Certainly. Um, in the American people's mind, you would think we would uh, draw attention to good things and happy things, but really a historic site is a site where the events that happened there are things that changed America as we know it. Uh, certainly 9-11 is one of those. Um, the, 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 the airplane flying into the Pentagon is one of those. The Pentagon is a, a historic site. Uh, I believed that the levee breach event of, of uh, 2005, I don't even use the word Katrina. In fact, not once in my entire book do I ever use the word Katrina. In my mind, this is a civil engineering event, period. No need to discuss that the, the name of the storm that happened to be there that year. So anyway, in my mind, the levee breach event changed America as we know it. And um, much of America is not aware of the, that they are safer because of what happened here. The Army Corps no longer uses eye walls. Those are the steel sheet piling enforced mm -hmm. levees. The Army Corps no longer uses eye walls throughout the country after they breached here in New Orleans. Uh, after, after the uh, evacuation of during Katrina, from now on, FEMA must accommodate pets because so many people stayed just to take right. their pets. Be, FEMA would not uh, take pets at that time. So the Pets Act got passed, which is absolutely saving lives. And it's right. not about saving the pet's life. Um, it's, it's about, about saving, saving the owner's yeah. life. It's the owner's life. And, and, and those are just two major ones uh, that I can think of. The, the list is very long. I and then all the upgrades to levees across the country mm -hmm. as well. Uh, 
changes to the, the to the maintenance, even though there's no evidence that improper maintenance had anything to do with these breaches. Nationwide, the Army Corps of Engineers has beefed up levy maintenance. They're more frequent, they're more robust, they're more uniform, and they use our, our GIS technology. Uh, and, and those are just a few of the changes to policy because of the levy breach event. So it's certainly fitting to have a, a levy breach site on the National Register of, of Historic Places. We're gonna take a short break. When we come back, we're gonna um, wrap up with Sandy Rosenthal, the uh, inspiring author of Words Whispered in Water. After these messages, you're listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report only on WMR. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high-quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. If you're an online marketer who really needs to grow an audience of buyers but can't do all the heavy lifting alone, then here's the solution you're looking for. Introducing the DFY Podcasting System. Here's what you get. 30 minutes of one-on-one training. A weekly podcast for you or your company. Distribution to almost every podcast portal. An embeddable player for your website. An ebook called How to Podcast, created for WMR.FM show hosts. And much, much more. And best of all, you'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.WMR.FM and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. We're talking to Sandy Rosenthal, the author, founder of levies.org and the author of Words Whispered in Water, Why the Levy Broke in Hurricane Katrina. And um, so you were mentioned that you don't even mention, well, except for the title, apparently. <laughs> you know, that wasn't my idea. The publisher never is, is. It never is. It could, but that Katrina is what sells. People recognize yeah. that. Um, that you refer to it as, and I noticed that at the start of the interview, you referred to the levy incident. Um, what would have happened had the levies not failed? Well, I, if I could, I want to mention, I did not want Katrina on the title and I fought my publisher and I eventually <laughs> gave in because I thought, how can I call out a myth if I don't call it out by name just once? Exactly, yeah. If I call it out by name just once on the title. Um, so, so I'm sorry, what was your question again? What would have happened had the levies, I mean, would Katrina had, would, would we even know Katrina had the levies not failed? Oh, oh, had the levies not breached? The Hurricane Katrina was a moderate storm in the city of New Orleans. The top winds, 
sustained in the city of New Orleans top was 69 miles an hour. That wasn't enough to knock the papaya off my trees in my front yard. So it was, nobody would ever have heard of Mayor Nagin. No one would ever have heard of Kathleen Blanco unless you mm. live in this town. No one would ever have heard of Michael Brown. No, right. the, oh boy, yeah. Uh, what, what people would remember about Hurricane Katrina was a bad storm in Mississippi. Because you see now, because of what happened, unfortunately, in New Orleans, we are safer because people are taking these issues seriously. Especially California, the state of California, but also the state of Texas, the state of Florida, New York City, uh, any country that has a lot of levees is paying much, much closer attention uh, to their levees after the levees broke in 2005. So we only have a few minutes left, and you're a New Englander who moved to New Orleans. That's right. So I, I do have some speed um, speed round questions for you. Um, first, most importantly, um, chowder or gumbo? Chowder. Great. Um, Patriots or Saints? Boy, that's a tough one. Both. Good, because you'd probably get in trouble if you if you answered <laughs> if you answered for your hometown. Um, so it's it's been a great pleasure having you. What is your next project, or is this going to be an ongoing effort? Are you going to be focusing on infrastructure and on a broader level? My biggest all-time favorite is helping other people who have seen something wrong and want to make it right. Because I know all the tricks now, how to get seen and how to get heard. And third, how to build a shield for the abuse and the pushback and the harassment that you will get if you're trying to do something good. And that's my number one love right now. And so next, any any projects coming up or yes, there stay is. tuned? Yes, there is. Um, I can't give you the details today. Be um, They're still ongoing, but I can tell you they're involving racial equality. Good. Well, great to hear it. I want to thank you, Sandy Rosenthal. The book is Words Whispered in Water, Why the Levees Broke in Hurricane Katrina, also known as the Levee Event. And, uh, and she will be appearing in, at the Miami Book Fair, which is November 15th through and November 22nd, and it will be miamibookfaironline.com. It is a virtual event, and it is the country's biggest book fair, so be sure to check it out. Um, Sandy, it's been great having you, and uh, have a, a great fall and a great book fair. Um, and best of luck to you in New Orleans. Thank you for inviting my comment. Thank you. So, Sandy, if people want to learn more about um, what you're doing and, uh, you know, about your organization and other activities, where should they go? Sure. The best place is the, my website, levees.org, same as the name, L-E-V-E-E-S dot O-R-G. And what about on Twitter? Oh, on Twitter is the same, same name, levees.org. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much. And um, that's all we have for this segment. Join us again. We'll have further um, installments from the Miami Book Fair. This is Bennett Kelly. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyberlaw Radio. And thanks again um, to Brasco, our producer. And um, that's all we have for today. Thank you for joining us.
The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.